0: A few years ago, I had uh, finished up uh, preaching, it was the end of the service, a guy who I didn't really know, he was a guest, he had joined us for church that day, I'm, I'm guessing late 50s, early 60s, he comes down after the service and he's asking if he can meet with me uh, privately and i could see a look of concern on his face and so i said sure let's let's find a pro- more private place to to talk and, and and we did and as soon as we found that place and sat down and got comfortable he just lost it i mean just broke down and started to weep uncontrollably i had no idea who he was no idea what was going on Finally, he was able to kind of collect himself a little bit, and then he just began to share with me a lot of the problems and a lot of the struggles that he was going through in his life. His marriage was falling apart. He was having issues with his um, adult children and their relationship, and there was struggle and there was strain. He was having a hard time holding down a job and was in a lot of Debt. And uh, then, uh, because he was dealing with all of these things, they were just so hard, and, and, and the emotional toll that he was even taking on him, he unfortunately turned to alcohol. And he was trying to medicate the pain and the emotions associated with everything that was going on in his life. And a few drinks turned into a few more, and a few more turned into a few more. And uh, years went by, and eventually he uh, became an alcoholic. And now this was the biggest struggle in his life that was affecting even more of all of those other areas that he was struggling in before. He entered into this issue as well. When he was describing it, he used words like bondage, enslaved. It has a hold on me. It's got a grip on my life. He felt stuck. He felt like there was no real hope, and he was searching oh, he was searching for answers, and you could tell that he was hoping, he was really hoping that maybe, just maybe Jesus had something to offer him in the situation that he was in. And, and I don't know, there may be some of you who are here today, or you're watching online today, and you know that struggle. You're searching in the same ways. You know what it's like to feel Bondage, to be enslaved, whether it's uh, something similar to the problems that I just described that he was going through or something different. You know the feeling. You know what it's like to be enslaved to alcohol or to food. Maybe you know what it's like to be a slave to pornography or a slave to work, a slave to performance or achievement. You know what it's like to be a slave to fear or condemnation. You know what it's like to be in bondage to depression or loneliness or even to be a slave to social media or video games or even your phone. And if that's you, I don't have to tell you how hard life can be. You know the pain. You know the struggle. You know the hopelessness. And maybe that's why you're here or why you're watching online today, too, because you are searching for answers. And maybe you, too, are hoping that Jesus has something to offer you. But what about those of us who are here today and we know Jesus and we say, but I know Jesus and I'm struggling with much of those same things that you just described these other people struggling with. What about me? Because I know there are some of us who are here today and we know Jesus, but you face the same kinds of struggles. You can use the same words that he used. You feel enslaved, you feel stuck, like you can't really get past certain sins that just keep cropping up or popping up all over all of the time in your life and there's frustration and i think a lot of us sometimes wonder if we're missing something in the christian life or are we missing something about how to make it all work right some of us may even be at the point where we go i don't i don't know if it does work i don't really truly believe that it does you maybe have even started to think this life is just something i have to suffer through Right? At least I have the hope, if I do know Jesus, that there is a better future one day. But for right now, that's all this life is, is a life of bondage. It's a life of slavery. It's just filled with problems that I cannot overcome. But at least one day, I get to go to heaven. Well, if that's you this morning, I want you to hear me very clearly that it does not have to be that way. Because the full message of the gospel is that it is not just some future promise of a better life, but that it has present implications for things in our lives that can have such a grip or a hold on them. And it's really not just my opinion, it's the truth. It's communicated to us in God's Word, and it's found all over the place throughout God's Word. But one of the places it is most clearly seen is in the book of Romans, especially within chapters 5 through 8 of Romans. And so while I would love to unpack all of Romans with you, for us to do the entire book of Romans may take us possibly an entire year because there's so much in it, what we are going to do today is begin to focus in and dial in on chapters 5 through 8. And we'll go verse by verse through those particular chapters the rest of this summer. But let me just give you a glimpse of what is to come. Romans chapter 6, Paul says that Christians are those who have died to sin and are alive to Christ, He says later on in that chapter that sin is no longer your master. He says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he even goes on to say that the Holy Spirit that we received in our lives does not make us slaves so that we live in fear, but rather has brought about our adoption into his family where we get to experience an intimate relationship with with him. Even just a glimpse of a few verses in these four chapters, I hope that you're beginning to see that there is some hope, that these are things that Paul is saying, or what he's communicating here is that there's, there's hope for our present lives, that we can live victoriously over these things that can have such a grip and a hold on us. And my hope I mean, my hope is that by the end of this or as we begin to go through it, you'll start to experience the freedom from the slavery and the bondage of the things in this world and that you'll begin to walk in victory over these things that you can't seem to get past right now and that you will really begin to experience the abundant life that Christ came to actually give you. Now, before we dive into specifically chapter 5 and start working verse by verse, it's important that we know the context. We're jumping into the middle of a letter that Paul was writing to a particular church at a particular time. The Holy Spirit was inspiring him to write what he was writing. There's certainly things that what Paul is writing to this church apply to us today, but in order to really understand what Paul is saying in 5 through 8, we have to know what Paul says first. I mean, quite honestly, the very first word of chapter 5 that we're going to dive into is therefore In other words, what I'm about to say is based on several things that I've already communicated, and if we don't go through at least some of those things, we wouldn't understand the context of where we're jumping in. So today, I'm just going to kind of lay the groundwork. We're going to do a very quick summary of what Paul is communicating in chapters 1 through 4. There's so much in here, but I'm going to give you kind of the the, the high view of what Paul is doing here so we'll understand what we're getting into in Romans chapter 5. And really, when Paul's writing this letter to this church at Rome, what he's really doing is trying to communicate the full truth of the gospel message. Look at what he says in chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. He says, I Am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager, he says, to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Paul says, I am so eager to also share the gospel with you. In other words, I haven't shared it with you yet. That's why Paul is so eager to share the gospel with this church. The church at Rome was a church that the Apostle Paul did not plant. Paul planted many churches, and he wrote many letters to them that we have in the New Testament of our Bibles, but the church at Rome was not established by Paul. He didn't know these people, and they didn't know Now, they had probably, a lot of them had heard of Paul. They knew maybe some or bits and pieces of what Paul communicated and taught when it came to the gospel. But they hadn't heard the full gospel message. And so a lot of what Paul is doing here and what follows is Paul's doctrinal statement on the gospel. This is the most extensive teaching um, of the gospel that we have from Paul. Um, after the first service, a guy that was in there came up knowing that we were going through this and handed me uh, this book and said, Hey, if you want to uh, read it, this is John Stott's commentary on, um, on, on chapters 5 through, through 8. And so in between the services, I opened it up and just read the, the introduction. Listen to, what, listen to what he says right here. He says the epistle to the Romans is the fullest and most coherent manifesto of the Christian gospel in the New Testament. In it, the apostle Paul unfolds the whole counsel of God. He goes on to say there is grandeur, a comprehensiveness, a logic about his exposition which has commanded the admiration and compelled the study of all succeeding generations. And you'll find many academic scholars and pastors and preachers who have said uh, much of the same kinds of things about this letter that Paul wrote to the Romans and he was really just communicating like I said the gospel the full gospel to make sure they understood everything that he was teaching and the truth about it. Gospel, of course, just simply means good news. It's the good news about Jesus Christ, but the Apostle Paul certainly knows that in order to truly appreciate and understand how good the good news really is, that you've got to know how bad the bad news really is. That's really true with anything, right? I mean, a kid runs out into the road and a parent comes by and swoops them up just before a car was about to hit them. The kid has no idea what he was just spared from in that moment. He doesn't know how bad the bad news really was, right? But an adult who's walking across the street and gets uh, tackled by someone who saves them from running into a car knows and fully appreciates and understands how bad the bad news really was if that car was about to hit them and can fully appreciate the good news of the situation that they're in now. And so what Paul does here is communicate how bad the bad news really is. And he starts doing this in chapter 1, verse 18, and he does this all the way through the middle of chapter 3, and he doesn't let up. I mean, it's just one thing after another about how bad this bad news is. What he does in chapter 1 is uh, begin to just say how each one of us, that we as a humanity have exchanged the glory of the Creator for its creation. He says, here's what you guys have done. We, we've all exchanged the glory of the Creator for His creation. We've taken His creation and we've begun to worship and glorify the creation over the Creator. We worship the trees instead of the God who created the trees. We worship the mountains instead of the God who created the mountains. Maybe a little bit of a silly example, but any any stanley's barbecue fans here today couple yeah there you go when i first moved to tyler it was the very first restaurant that someone i think it was jerry jerry took me to stanley's barbecue the first week that we were living here in tyler that's what i did after i ate it man i was like this is like straight from heaven right? This is such good barbecue, right? And, and so here's what this is meant to happen, all right? This is a creation from God, food he's providing for us, and that food, we're sitting down to eat a plate of Stanley's barbecue, and we're enjoying it, and it's meant to cause us to go, oh my gosh, thank you, Lord Jesus, for this Stanley's barbecue. Thank you for providing for me through it but wow God you went way above and beyond just providing for me in this moment some nourishment like you're allowing my taste buds to experience an explosion of flavors in my mouth you truly are a good God a good creator who loves your children thank you right that's what it's meant to do in that moment but what we do is we say wow there's There's so much life in this food. There's so much life. I find pleasure and satisfaction. And so our response is, I need more Stanley's Barbecue because it provides for me. It's so fulfilling. It's so satisfying to me. There's so much life in it. And we begin to worship the creation instead of the creator maybe a silly example but again we do this with all kinds of things we do it with money and entertainment and uh, technology and physical intimacy we exchange the creator the glory of the creator for the creation we we worship uh, the temporary satisfaction that it can bring us instead of the ultimate satisfaction that the creator can bring us And in doing so, Paul, after he communicates this, then in verses 29 through 31, he says, as a result of that, we have all become gossips, slanderers, and God-haters. We are all people, he said, who are full of greed, we're all full of deceit, we're all full of envy, we're all full of strife, we're all full of arrogance, we're all full of wickedness, and we're all full of evil. And he does this before he ever even gets out of chapter 1. He's trying to paint the picture of how bad the bad news really is. Paul begins to write in chapter 2, and I think he's, he's thinking, okay, I'm, I'm communicating all of these things, and he's writing to a, a church that has Jewish members and Gentile members in, in the, the church. That's his, his audience, and I think he's thinking, you know, I bet some of the Jewish people who are going to be reading this letter right now are thinking, oh yeah, those cruddy Gentiles, right? He's describing those, those Gentiles who are gossips and slanderers and God-haters and full of evil and, and wickedness. And, and Paul wants to make sure that just in case they think that they're, this doesn't apply to them, right, that because they're trying to follow the law and they may view themselves as being a little bit more moral than most people, that they're good citizens and good people, that they really were in the same boat as everyone that he was describing in chapter 1. And so he just gets after them, all of chapter 2, making sure, hey, you guys who think this, no, 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 that still applies to you. You're in the same situation. You also are full of greed, deceit, envy, strife, arrogance, wickedness, and evil as well. And he says, just in case you think that trying to obey the law is going to get you out of the situation that you're in, it's not going to work. Paul's trying to make sure that everyone knows, both the Jews and and the Gentiles and all of us today and all of us includes all of us. I don't care how, what decisions it is that you've made, how you grew up in your life, how much of a great family you were in, and if your parents taught you right or wrong, and to mind your manners, and tuck your shirt in, and all of the above. All means all. We're all in the same boat. As a matter of fact, the apostle Paul just stops writing in the middle of chapter three, and sums it all up to make sure they don't miss the point, and make sure that we all don't miss the point. Look at what he says beginning in verse 9. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous. Not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become Worthless! There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. That is absolutely depressing, isn't it? I mean, so depressing, so condemning. And Paul doesn't seem to leave anyone out. (laughs) How many times did he say, no one? There's no one righteous. All have turned away. No one good. All of us are worthless. Over and over and over again, he says, we're all under the power of sin. It has got a grip on you. It has a hold on you. You You're a slave to it, and therefore it has such a grip and a hold on your life that your life is marked with ruin and misery, and you will lack ultimate peace. Paul says, just in case you think this can be found in the creation, you can go chase after as many idols as you want to and try to bring yourself satisfaction and fulfillment, but you will never... Find ultimate peace in those things you're constantly going to be searching for more and more and needing more and your life will always be marked with ruin and misery and of course then he said and if you think that you can be more moral you think that you're just enough there and you're almost there because how you're living your life then he says "Uh, don't don't forget that that um comparing yourself to other people isn't the standard Right, Because if you're looking around and you're thinking, yeah, but I grew up in a better family. I, I vote the right way. I um, uh, my, my manners and all of those things that we mentioned earlier. And, and I'm way better than most people over here. That those people are not your standard. That God is your standard. And because of that, we're all in the same boat. We're all enslaved to the power of sin. We'll never, ever, ever be able to measure up. I mean, this is about as bad as the bad news can get. We're all declared a guilty sinner by God. We're slaves to sin. It's got a grip and a hold on our lives. No one who understands. No one who's righteous. All worthless. No one who does good. Ruin and misery mark our ways, and we don't know This concludes our message for today. I'm going to pray, and you'll be dismissed. What if that was the end of the story? I mean, he's painting reality. This is the situation that we all find ourselves in. You can think that you're a pretty good person, You can try to convince yourself that you're better than most or you're at least better than some. Paul says, do you really understand who you are? Do you really understand the situation that you are in? I mean, you think about the Grand Canyon. You're on one side of the Grand Canyon, and God is on the far other. That's how far away you are from You're not right there and just need a little bit of help to get over the hump. We're all in that boat. But thank goodness Paul doesn't stop with the bad news. But again, in order to truly appreciate how good the good news is, you've got to know how bad... The bad news is. So he gets into the good news. Look at verse 41 or 21. He says, "But now apart from the law the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe there is no difference between jew and gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by christ jesus paul says all are justified freely but but what does that mean exactly right i mean What does it mean to be justified? What does the word justification mean? Well, it's related to the word that um, was translated righteousness. What it ultimately means to be justified is to be made right, to be made right with God. If you are justified, then that means you who once were a guilty sinner before God have now been declared and made innocent and righteous is what it means to be justified of course the question is how's that possible how can somebody make you right or how can i be made right and i mean he gave us the answer he said we're justified freely number one by his grace and that grace is provided number two through the redemption that came by jesus christ first of all it's a gift there's absolutely nothing paul is saying that you can do to earn it all right? You can't do enough good things to make sure that you're there, and so don't think that you can, you can uh, earn this justification. It has to be something that comes from God and a gift that he gives you, and that gift is provided only, he says, through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Redemption means to liberate by paying a price. To liberate, to free... By paying a price. There were many in Paul's day who were slaves. They were owned by other people. They were simply property. They, were, uh, they had to do what it is that they were told. They couldn't earn their freedom. They were just enslaved and had to do what their master communicated and told them to do. But Paul communicates in different places that, you know, a ransom could be paid in order to free someone who was a slave. And so a slave could find themselves in that situation with nothing that they could do, and someone could pay a certain amount of money to pay a price to free them. They would then be set free from the situation that they were in and begin to walk in freedom. Paul's saying that Jesus... Paid the price that you owed to be set free from the slavery of sin, from being a guilty sinner before the Lord. And of course, the price that he paid was death. He communicates that in the very next verse, verse 25. It says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. The price that had to be paid was death. Jesus loves you and cares about you and wanted to be in a relationship with you so bad that he was willing to pay that price that was necessary so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be set free from the slavery that you were in to sin. And of course, here at the end of 25 and in verse 22, that's applied to each one of us through faith. That's the way we receive the gift that he's offering to each one of us. We put our faith in his finished work, and as soon as we do, Paul's saying you're justified. You're declared innocent, and you are made right with God. Now that is some really good news. Paul communicates how bad the bad news really is, and what he's beginning to show us is how good the good news really is, especially, again, when we're reminded of the bad news, how rotten to the core we were at one point in time. And this is what Paul is driving home and unpacking in in uh, Romans, is this full gospel, the true gospel, and what it really is, that through faith, all people, not some people, all people can be justified freely before God and so he communicates this in the first three chapters. He turns the corner and gets into chapter four, and he just drives that home even more through the example of Abraham. He's saying righteousness is available to you, and again, don't miss this. It's through faith. And he goes back to the Old Testament. He goes to Abraham and says, Abraham's righteousness was credited to him through the faith and the trust that he had in God. And so he's just trying to drive this home. Don't think it's through anything you're doing. Don't think it's through the the law or being more moral or any of these other things, it's all grace. It's all through faith and even uses the example of Abraham and how he was promised to become a father of many nations, right? And that Jesus was the fulfillment of that. The full gospel is that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, that this is the fulfillment of that promise. He's building a family of God, a multi-ethnic family that all people can be a part of. You and I, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, are rescued by a ransom that he has paid, we're given freedom from the bondage and the slavery that we were in, and we're even given a family to belong to. This is good news. It's really good news. And this is what Paul is communicating in the first four chapters. He's laid the groundwork. justification by faith or through faith. And now, as he gets into chapter 5, he's going to say, look at what he says here, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, right? So what do you think he's about to do next? He's, He's saying, since I've laid the groundwork and now you see that we're justified through faith, let me communicate to you all of the benefits of being justified, Here's the results of something, of someone that's been justified. And he's going to show us, I mean, how good the good news really is. What is now true of you and what is true of me because of who we now are in Christ. And so I I can't wait to dive into this next week and begin to go verse by verse all the way through 5 through 8 with you. It's going to be awesome. You're going to see some things in there. Some of it you're going to be familiar with. Others you're going to go, well, I thought this meant that, but now, oh, I don't see how this could, yeah. And you're going to have your eyes open to new things, and you're going to maybe, hopefully, as you begin to see that, begin to experience some freedom and some bondage from some of those things that have such a grip on your lives. But today, ultimately, there are things that we saw before we get too far ahead and look forward to next week that apply to us today. There are things that we've seen that ultimately demand a response from each one of us. Because what Paul really did in these first four chapters was communicate again um, the reality of who we really are. That, that really, uh, he's communicating who we are uh, uh, either apart from Christ or who we are if we're in Christ. Did you know there's really only two kinds of people that are walking around the planet? There's really only two kinds of people walking around the planet. All right, Those who are either a guilty sinner in the eyes of God, or those who are righteous in Christ. You're only in one of the two categories, right? And Paul painted the picture, as we saw, how drastically far apart they really were right? You saw me move a little bit this way to say you're either a guiltless sinner or uh, someone who's righteous in Christ, but really, I mean, it's like I need to go all the way to the other end of the stage and all the way there, and again, the example of the Grand Canyon and how far it is that we really are, and I think when we see this and we see the proper perspective of who we are and where we're at today, then it prompts a response in our lives. It has to, For those of you who are here today or you're watching online and who never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you're seeing the truth of this, the light bulb moment is going off for you, then you've seen that sin has a grip and a hold on your life. You've seen that there's no one righteous, not even one. You've, You've seen that you're a guilty sinner before God. You've seen that there's nothing that you can do in and of yourself. And as you begin to see that, the only response that you could have in that moment is to fall on your knees and declare, I am a sinner in need of your grace. And the good news is, as you declare that and you put your faith and trust in him, you can receive that grace. You can receive that forgiveness. You can leave here being justified before God today. And it is my hope and my prayer that that is a choice that you will make whether you're 9 or 10 years old and sitting in here or you're 68 years old and in here. If you've never trusted Christ, this is available to you as a gift that you can receive by faith. But there is also a response from what we see in these first four chapters for those of us who have already said yes to Jesus as well. And I think it's a couple of things in it. Number one is it leads us to begin to trust that we really are radically different than who we once were. You and I can feel like we're really not that different, that these struggles uh, we're in bondage to have such a hold and a grip on our lives, that there's really nothing that we can do, that we don't have what it takes to live the Christian life victoriously, but Paul says that if you've received Jesus by faith, you have been justified, you have been made righteous. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might Become the righteousness of God. Is that how you see yourself this morning as the righteousness of God? I I bet if I would have asked before the service and taken a poll and gone up to each one of you and said, "Uh, Are you the righteousness of God? You'd be like, No. A dirty, rotten sinner. I fail all of the time, but God's Word right there says the truth is, is that if you're in Him, regardless of your behavior and what it is that's come out of your mouth this morning or yesterday or this week or over the last year, you are the righteousness of God. That's who you are. And so if this is what's communicated to us, then I think when we begin to see that and we begin to walk by faith through our lives that that's actually true, that's when we're going to be able to experience the freedom that christ has purchased for us because as what you'll see is that the truth is even though these things can feel like you're enslaved to them like you're in bondage to them you are no longer a slave you're not and what we're going to see is that as you begin to walk by faith that that's true and you see the truth of that, then you'll actually begin to experience the victory over those things that feel like they have so much of a hold on you. The second thing I think this, uh, the way this leads us to respond is just a greater appreciation and love for who God is and what He's done in the situation that we were in to move us to the situation that we're in now right i mean when you really begin to see how bad the bad news is because i really feel like a decent amount of us we don't go that far in our minds we're constantly trying to convince ourselves that we're really not that bad of a person right and again, we think, well, I grew up in a church home. Again, I, I I did all the right things. I went to a Christian school. I learned how to say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, and all of those things. And we we, we categorize where we're at with a lot of that stuff. When Paul says no one's righteous, no one's good, everyone's vile, we're all evil, we're all wicked. When you begin to see that, and now you see how Far God brought you from one side of the chasm to the other and bridged that gap to make you righteous in Christ. He will use that to grow your appreciation for the depth of the gospel, how good the good news really is in your life and the love that you'll begin to have for him. Because if you think that you've just been forgiven a little, <laughs> God's just kind of gotten you over the hump then you're going to love little. But if you understand how much you've really been forgiven, you're going to start to love a lot. So this is the response that it demands of those of us who are in Christ as well. Let's pray.